From BU Cares Research Center, this is Dr. Michelle Lamb and Dr. Jacqueline Kirk, and you're listening to Leaning In and Speaking Out, the Research Connection podcast. It's a podcast about the world we live in and how education can make a difference. These are conversations about curiosity and how researchers and educators are working in new ways. Each month on the show, we bring together a community member and a researcher to discuss a topic that's important to them. Today's episode is about online learning, and I'm just going to ask all of our guests to introduce themselves. Gustavo, you're in my top left. Would you like to go first? Sure. Hey, everybody. I am Gustavo, uh, currently a PhD candidate at the University of Manitoba at the Faculty of Education. I've been working on a research on online uh, remote learning, basically, in rural Manitoba since January 2021, just ending some reports and hoping to get some things out in the next year. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And Catherine? So my name is Catherine Smith. I'm an associate professor in the Faculty of Education at Brandon University in the Department of Leadership and Educational Administration. And I've been involved in this research project on rural remote learning for just over a year. And I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Thanks, Catherine. And Sarah, who are you? Yeah. I'm Sarah Krona. I um, kind of wear multiple hats and am linked to this in, in a few ways. So my primary full-time job is I'm the facility coordinator here at the Healthy Living Center at Brown University. Um, prior to me being here, I have taught in a physical classroom setting, but last year I was actually fortunate to teach from September to June in um, a remote learning environment entirely um, for kids that were um, or are immunocompromised. Um, so that took place uh, September of 2020 to June of 2021. And Jackie. Hi, I'm Jackie Kirk. Uh, I am the chair of the Department of Leadership and Educational Administration, and I am co-host of the podcast. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, I'm excited about this conversation. Um, just, Sarah, can I ask you off the top, were you involved in the research? Um, not in the, in the research. I was asked to be, I volunteered to be, um, but when we started opening back up um, due to our COVID closures, I was just, I didn't have the time to, um, to take part in that. So if there's any information that, that comes from this, I'd be happy to, you know, give my two cents um, in, or maybe it's something to take away from. Thank you. And I'll introduce myself too, but I think everyone will know after hearing the podcast, I think we've been going for two years already, but uh, I'm Michelle Lamb. I'm the other co-host of the podcast and the director of BU Cares. And I'm excited for this conversation too, Jackie. I think I'll learn a lot and I'm interested also from the perspective of a parent because my kids have been, they weren't medically advised to stay home. So they weren't doing the full remote learning, but periodically there would be a, a case in their school and they'd be home for two weeks or they had symptoms of a cold and they were home for a week or so and so we were kind of going back and forth and so I think it'll be interesting from that perspective too but uh, to get us started in this conversation I wonder uh, for Catherine and Gustavo if you could tell us a little bit about your research with remote learning 
maybe the background, how it got started and what you did. I know you had a lot of different surveys going out and then a little bit about what you found. So it's kind of a big question to start off with, but uh, yeah, do you want to start there? I'll do the very beginning and then Gustavo will explain the rest of it. The very beginning came through you actually, Michelle. You got a request from um, Brandon School Division asking if there was somebody interested in doing action research to support their rural remote learning program, which had just got started. And so you asked me if I'd be interested. And from there, we took it forward, developed a proposal and got Burek approval. And that's when Gustavo came on board. So he can take you from there. Yeah, when I came on board, <laughs> uh, so the idea is those school divisions, uh, Catherine said it before, they are a total of seven school divisions in rural Manitoba, Western Manitoba. Uh, they wanted to just check how the, what was the, what was the phrase, Catherine, like check the boat as it sails, <laughs> something around those lines. Uh, they had just developed the program. They were interested in, interested to know uh, what was working and what was not working in the program. And we were there to facilitate that, you know, the, the, those conversations. So our idea was to de develop, it was developed, the, the study was developed as uh, an action research. And we uh, developed actually two cycles for the research because unfortunately the program ended uh, in June of 2021 and we do not have that time to actually elaborate on the action research piece. Still working on that though with our, our meetings, but we'll see how that goes. And we had the chance to talk a little bit with participants of this program. And those participants, they included parents, students from kindergarten to grade eight in both English and French immersion programs. Uh, we talked to teachers who were teaching for the program, the homeschool principals, and we talked to curriculum consultants. So each of these participants, they had their own role in this, we call it innovative program, and it was an emerging solution for the context that we're all living in and for those families who were as Sarah said, they were all medically fragile. They couldn't actually go back to in-person classes in schools in Manitoba. So the program really benefited those families, as well as some teachers who couldn't go back to class because they also had some sort of... They, like all these participants, they had their roles. Uh, a team was uh, the team of curriculum consultants. They were there to support family and teachers in logistical aspects of the, the program. Also, some conversations with teachers around like pedagogy and how to deliver that remote learning program to kids. Parents were basically co-educators in this process, mostly with the younger ones. Uh, it's, it's interesting that we divided how we talked to students. We talked to K to four students and then five to eight, so then it's a, it's a huge range of age there. So they have very particular experiences and how parents have to deal with them as well. So uh, that was something that we thought about when designing our questionnaires. Uh, for collecting information from these participants, we used first uh, an online survey to get an idea of the demographics of, this, of, the, of these participants and to know a little bit more about how they were feeling towards the program in terms of uh, are, are the kids being taught everything, like 
everything that they would they would have been taught in a regular school, um, in a brick brick and mortar school. school. Um, and I think Catherine, you can just jump in if I if I if I take too much time here. Well, I think um, you've got the first cycle, which was the online questionnaires. And then from that, we had a lot of questions. So we did data analysis together and talked about it. And when we had questions, those are what we directed towards the interviews. So then all the same groupings again were invited. Initially, we wanted to do focus groups and interviews, but due to time and just the logistics, um, we ended up just doing interviews. And um, so that allowed us to get answers to some of our questions and of course, more questions as a result of the analysis. So the next question is, what were some of the experiences that students and parents and teachers and administrators had? Um, Sarah, maybe I'll ask you to start with that and describe your experience teaching um, in that setting. Sure. Um, I would say of my nine and a half, 10 years of teaching, that my year teaching remotely was my most challenging. Um, there were obviously some really good things and some really challenging parts. Um, obviously the connection that you can make with each individual student, but then as with their families, because they're right there, they can either listen to what you're saying, um, you see into their home, which in a, in a physical classroom, you don't, right? You rely so much on what the, what the students are telling you and you visualize what you think that it looks like, um, but to actually see into their homes and uh, for, their, for them to take their computer right into their room or here's my snowman that I built yesterday, like they can show you those things. That's probably the most rewarding part of um, remote teaching. Um, for a full year, like it wasn't just a snippet of, of a week or two weeks or as a substitute. I saw those kids every single day for a full school year. You get to know the kids, you get to know their siblings, you get to know, you know, mom or dad or grandma, whoever is making lunch in the background while the kids are sitting at the table. You see those things, you get to have conversations about those things. Um, so to me, like I said, that's super rewarding. The challenging part um, comes from if the kid, the parent, the child doesn't choose or chooses not to come to class, like you can't, you know, bribe them. <laughs> you can't make a deal with them. You can't negotiate. You can't, there's a lot of things that are outside of your control, um, online teaching. So a lot of that is through the connection and the communication with parents and just the expectations and the schedule. So we did everything every day, very similar. Okay, every time we log in at um, 12.30, this is what we do. At one o'clock, we know we're going to small groups. So it wasn't um, if a child was missing for the day um, that it was a surprise. Um, so I think that keeping the consistency was one of the most important things as well. Um, in just knowing the students and they just knew what to expect. Um, I also taught at half time. So I shared my classroom with another teacher, which throws in a whole different aspect to it. Um, every other class had a full-time teacher that was with the students for the full day. I just saw the students in my classroom for the half day. So that's, I feel like a whole different um, can of worms. Um, 
aside, but yeah, I would say for the most part, um, pretty rewarding, challenging at times, um, unless a student is comfortable with them sharing their screen or showing you their work, um, it's pretty hard to see it. So we did a lot of um, nonverbal assessment, thumbs up, thumbs down, um, going into breakout rooms to chat with their peers. Uh, in the beginning, we actually couldn't go into breakout rooms, so we had to be entering or leaving the channel we were in through Teams, entering a totally different channel. Um, so that was, you know, all a work in progress as it went, but the kids were so resilient um, when we couldn't go into breakout rooms and we had to decide, okay, how can I get my class to still be collaborating? How do they get to know each other, you know, even just through a basic conversation um, without, you know, the, okay, this group go to this part of the classroom, you guys go here, this group sit here, and now I can rotate throughout. I can also, you know, eavesdrop onto another um, group while I'm working with the group. So you don't have those things. So we had to be creative. The kids had to be flexible. Um, and there were times that, you know, just things didn't really work. Um, someone's technology goes down, their computer, the battery dies on it. Um, so as a teacher, you have to be able to think on your feet and to problem solve through that. Um, yeah, I mean, I obviously have a list of a million experiences or different <laughs> situations that happen throughout the year, but definitely evolved from where we were in um, September to where we finished in, in June. When, if I were to put that onto a timeline, probably absolutely a remarkable journey. Um, but like I said, by far my most challenging year of teaching. And it was a grade, like I taught grade five, six. I taught that grade four. I've taught grade four for six or seven years. So it wasn't that it was the content different. It was everything else that you don't necessarily learn in, in your education of how to plan for remote learning when some don't have technology, some don't have the, the support from their families, right? Some of them were left to get up and come to school and log in at nine o'clock without mom or dad um, around, right? Or mom was busy with another um, child in their family or um, grandma is there or they're back and forth between two households. So all of those things play, um, play a part in the good, the bad, the ugly experiences. Um, but I would, I could probably take over this and just talk about the experiences. So I'll turn it over to someone else. And if someone has more questions then I can, I can keep going. Well, Catherine, you've been nodding a lot as, <laughs> as Sarah has been talking. So is this similar to what you were finding in the research? Yeah, the, uh, there's a lot of things that Sarah mentioned that we heard from other people that we heard from parents, administrators, other teachers and students about, you know, technology going down or frustration that some students would turn off their video and not be connecting a lot of frustration initially with teams not working very well and gradually figuring getting the access to do things differently. Um, but there was also some really positive, I mean, and Sarah had lots of positive things as well. Some of the positive things that um, parents and students noticed might be surprising to listeners. And that's that some students, this was their preferred method of learning. They loved being away from peer pressure, from the noises in the classroom, from the distraction of other students' behaviors. 
And for students like that, they said, you know, I could concentrate, I could learn, I could get my work done, and then I could go play. Like I, it was controllable, it was manageable. And so for those students who are fairly independent or who are very socially easily distracted, this was a really successful learning environment, as well as from some students with diverse learning needs who found they were able to create those conditions at home that worked well for them. And parents were often um, just so appreciative of the program to be able to have their children in school and home and know that they were safe in cases where the parents were the ones who were fragile, the children understood that they were doing this for the health of their family. When it was the other way around, the parents were just so appreciative that their children had a, a pseudo normal type of school day. Um, I'd say from the experiences of the administrators, it was a bit of push and pull. Um, they were sad to give up the close contact that they usually have with their students and their families. And they were, responsible for things like sending out the report cards, but they didn't have any control over the teacher who wrote them. And so that was very difficult for them to sign off on something when, you know, you have a school philosophy, you have a school approach, and you talk with your teachers before they do report cards about the, the way in which you want them done. And this was different because it was supervision without any control. And so for many principals, that was difficult. And that they they wanted to be able to be in really close contact with the teachers. And if there were problems, go out and help, go see the family, drop something off, pick something up. And that logistically was just difficult. There was not a principle for the program. And so communication was difficult and the homeschool principals weren't really the boss. Um, and the teachers had multiple people to report to because their students came from different schools. So that was challenging again for the administrators, but again, they were pleased but to have the program, but from an administrator perspective, they had a whole bunch of programs going on. They had the students in their live program. They had the students who were temporarily at home, as Michelle mentioned, because of cases in the class or whatever. Then they had students in this program, and then they had students in what later became the provincial program. And so logistically speaking, it was a nightmare to keep track of who was where and to try to get report cards out for everybody at the same time and track attendance. And so there was an understanding of the complexity of this program, working with seven different school divisions and seven different systems of communication and ways of staying in touch. So the curriculum consultants, I would say, um, were the most closely tied to their division because they're hired by the division to provide leadership in a specific area. And so their connection to this project was a little bit off the side of their desk. They weren't given extra time to do it. It was fit into their role and nobody was allowed to make it their number one priority. And so it got varying amounts of attention. It got attention when it needed. Um, some people were very involved early on in developing policy and then weren't involved hands-on later. Um, so there was some frustration there that they felt from the curriculum consultants, they had more to offer than they were able to deliver because of all the systemic issues and that perhaps if there'd been opportunity for someone to take over the leadership of the Friday afternoon sessions, for example, and organize some professional learning and put in place some processes for dialogue and reflection, that that would have really supported the teachers um, more effectively. So that's a long-winded way. I tried to give you an example of each, but uh, I too could talk about this for a long time. <laughs> I, I'm 
I, I think that's so interesting. And um, it's making me wonder if remote learning or online learning is here to stay. And I know that this particular program has ended, but a lot of the findings uh, might be similar to things like Jackie and your research as well. And even here at BU, like we've had classes online for a long time already. And I know that I'm reading things about, oh, how cost effective it is, or, you know, you don't have to heat a building or keep the electricity on, you know, all of that. And it makes me wonder if this is a, a trend that's here to stay. Do you have thoughts about that? I think it's a huge equity issue if we go this route. We discovered lots of equity issues in, in the study. Um, students had varying access to Wi-Fi, varying access to devices. Not everybody has um, adults at home who can help them to navigate digital systems. Not every rural community has Wi-Fi that they can tap into. And so um, it's not an equitable system. And we have that as well at BU with our, you know, our graduate programs had online classes for years. And we have students who routinely get kicked out or have to have their video off or can't share orally because the bandwidth just isn't there. So while it affords some flexibility, and in this case was really essential in an emergency situation, I don't think our findings would suggest that people would like this to continue to be the way in which their children learned, even though a few children and a few parents did say that. And a few teachers said they'd love to teach that way for the rest of their careers. Um, most people were saying this is a good substitute, but we prefer face-to-face -face, and we prefer our children being in face-to-face. -face. Maybe the question should be changed. Like, should, should online learning be there for those who want it? Instead of, instead of like, will it be there or will well, or it stay those, there? Or for those whose um, access is compromised, right? Because I think that's the other thing as you were talking, Catherine, I was thinking about my face-to-face -face class and that we seriously had people out at night in a blizzard because they were coming to the face-to-face -face class. And it would have been so easy for me to put that class online but I didn't anticipate that the weather would be as bad as it was. But I think in terms of um, what do we do when access is compromised, I think we learned enough during the pandemic that we'll be quicker to switch to, you know, provide access through technology. But the teachers in my study too, um, they really like, you know, they preferred face-to-face -face and they felt like they were doing a better job face-to-face. Sarah, would you agree? Yeah, I would. I mean, obviously, I've been I've taught in in both settings, and the remote learning kind of just happened abruptly, right? It wasn't something that had um, years in the making of planning and how this might roll out for sure. Um, although I wouldn't say it was totally, or I to to say that to totally remove it, I don't think is um, would be the best way to go either. Um, but I, I do see there, there is value in it. I mean, and Catherine talked about, you know, some of those social anxiety, the, those kinds of kids, the kids that just need, you know, their math and ELA condensed, right? Like it's, we go hard for, you know, the, the maximum time, and then you get a break where there's so many other components of a school day that, um, that we take part in and we fit into our daily routines in a, in a classroom, but not all kids need that, right? And some kids excel from having those 
you know, um, whether it's your Christmas party or it's um, a movie or you've earned an afternoon party off um, or you're just playing different games or whatnot. But, but the reality is, is that we have so many different kinds of learners and to say that it's totally in person or totally online is, is not the way that we can go as, as education. Um, obviously there's some pros and cons about both, but being part of that journey of entirely online and I've expressed, you know, the challenges that come with it. I went with a computer to one of my students' houses. They couldn't get set up. I drove to his house. I sat in his backyard um, at the, you know, outdoor patio and helped him get logged in, right? But, but if I'm teaching a student, um, I had some kids in the Dauphin area. I'm not driving to Dauphin to get that kid set up online right? This, this other kid was fortunate. I'm in Brandon. I communicated with mom. She said, can you come and help me? Right? So there's also, I mean, it's the technology piece that continues to come up in even all of our little snippets. Um, that seems to be the biggest the hurdle that we need to, to figure out. Um, but I don't think that that's the only reason that we would say, you know what, on, online learning is, is not a way of the, the future. I want to come back to Gustavo because I kind of cut you off. Um, you just got started and I, your question piqued my interest and I jumped in. So um, let's go back to you if you wanted to go further with what you were saying as well. Sure. Let's see if I can keep up with what I was saying. <laughs> but uh, I just think when we talk about online learning, if we think of the social aspect aspect of it, like these kids are already learning from online settings and they're bringing that to our classrooms, you know, our schools. And I believe that this project is just there to show, and the pandemic as well, as Sarah, I think, was, was saying at the beginning, like these kids are showing us different things that they would have shown us if they were just going to school. So they're showing their room, they're showing where they do their, their things, they're showing their family, and that, that, that implicates in how they learn, you know? And plus all the things they already do online. Kids are chatting online all the time, social media. So like we talked about isolation and socialization in this study, and parents are worried that, that, and the kids as well, they miss seeing friends in person, they miss being in a school where they could play for recess, during recess, but they also have that easy, like easier way of chatting with somebody else through a chat, which for some teachers, they were more like, how is this happening? Like, is it like, how is this possible? You know, so these, these, these differences, they, they, they were, they emerged all at once in terms of how one deals with technology. And maybe it's like the online learning piece is just a matter of understanding that it is possible to do something. It's it's never going to be like easy or it's never going to be the best way, but like there are more options than just simply sitting down a kid who can go through like kids who are thriving, for example, they, they're just, well, there's no, there's no distraction. I can do these in 15 minutes and it's done and it's there. Whereas in a classroom, like it takes longer. The teacher takes longer to explain things because they have to manage behavior in a classroom or etc so i don't know i feel like how does how does online learning reshape what we know about teaching in classroom as well and probably catherine and i was were talking about this it would be interesting to see the transition back after 
the program program ended like what lessons were were learned now going back to, to going back to classrooms yeah, oh sorry go ahead kathy Many of the parents talked about um, observing their children learning time management skills and learning independence, things that they were impressed. They didn't realize that their child could be that independent in their learning. And so some of that may be just because they hadn't watched them in a learning situation and maybe they were just that independent at school. But the kids talked about it as well, said, I've learned how to take control of my time. I've learned I have to manage it. And I've also learned that I don't have to do it the way the teacher tells me to do it. Like if the teacher says I have to do spelling and then math and then writing, doesn't really matter as long as at three o'clock I can show what I've done. And so for me, it's better to do writing and then spelling it, you know, like they can talk about what they learned about themselves as learners. And so when they go back into face-to-face -face classrooms, I wonder if that was unpacked with the kids about what did you learn? Because the parents worried about that. They worried a lot about what the transition experience would be. They wanted their children to be prepared for it and to be supported through that transition because they anticipated a lot of anxiety um, going back into a social situation. I think many of us as adults has, have felt that as well after working at home and then you're back out in a social situation. It is a transition. But for these kids who found success at home, um, it'd be interesting to know how that's gone for them when they've gone back into the face-to-face. -face. One of the things that Gustavo said was about teachers uh, shortening their instructions uh, and that reminded me, Jackie, of one of the findings from your research. And it's a nice segue into the next question, which was if there are ways that educators who are teaching online or doing remote learning, uh, ways that they might be able to improve their practice. And so I think there's a lot of people here who could speak to that. Is there anyone that wants to start us off? Sure. I can just follow up on what you said, and then I'll um, pass the floor over uh, to someone else. Um, my research was really looking at uh, what did teachers learn from teaching during the pandemic and specifically the school division was interested in what did teachers learn from remote learning. But one of the things that was the clearest was that they really paid attention to planning what their instruction was going to be like because the time was shorter. And so they all talked about how they realized um, that they talked too much during instruction in the classroom and that they got better results when they planned how to say it shorter. And so that was a, that was an interesting piece to, you know, when the first person th said it, I thought, oh yeah, that's probably true. But then I listened to interview after interview where somebody told me um, that in some sort of way. So yeah, I think, I hope that that carries into the classroom, but I, it would be interesting, like Gustavo said, to go back and see um, how their classroom teaching has changed because of what they learned during remote learning. I liked I liked seeing how teachers lost, like not lost, but they let out the control of the classroom environment, mostly in remote learning. You don't know if the parents are there watching the classroom with the students or not. So we had teachers and parents probably saying that, well, I was teaching something, but then there was a parent in the room with the kid and I didn't know the answer as a teacher. So the parent was like, oh no, I can't help with this. And the parent, you know, were like the parent was just there to kind of help or, you know, 
offer these different lens to whatever was being taught. So I think letting go of the position of I'm the teacher, I know it all, is also something that probably was, uh, was a, a good lesson for these for these folks and participants in this study and how like you're definitely not under control of anything mostly under a pandemic right i could maybe speak directly to that being in the classroom prior then going online and now being back into a classroom um i think for me as a as a teacher, my biggest thing was for sure letting up that the control and and not things that were in my control, but as simple as the recess bell, right? That indicates during our day that the kids leave your classroom and they go outside to play. Um, in remote learning, as much as we had that schedule, if we needed another 10 minutes to finish up a discussion or there were kids still needing some time to work on something or I was just in a small group working one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two with students, I could take that time. So I, I wasn't told um, what to do within my, with, within my afternoon of teaching based off of, oh, Canada starting, then announcements, and then the recess, and then you stop because there's another announcement. So giving up the control in just that and just being, okay, we need this time as a group. We need more time to just go and play, right? So instead of saying you only have 15 minutes of play, maybe they got 25, right? So it's even in the control of, of our regular school day that well, even recess, I wouldn't have necessary control over. But the other thing I really learned was how to be, um, to think more on my feet. And because in a situation that a child or a student doesn't have internet, or all of a sudden they show up in your class because maybe they slept in, or maybe they went for lunch with their mom and dad, and now they're coming to class a little bit later, I had to be more flexible and I had to be willing um, even for myself to be like, that's okay. That's okay to, for a student to just come into class at, you know, 105 when the other kids have already gone doing what they need to be. And now I just give those instructions again. In your regular classroom, 95% of your kids come in when the bell goes after lunch, right? You're just there to start your day. And so even as um, going back into the classroom now in more, um, in an intervention way with numeracy and literacy is what I'm doing now. Um, I, I can totally see that. The other day, actually, an instance, um, I had a student, he was bringing his books um, and he brought this brand new book from the library. And so I had this lesson and, you know, in my mind, what we were going to do with it and the things that we were going to focus on. He opens the book. There are no words. So we were going to, you know, look at the root word of um, words and look at prefixes and prefixes and suffixes. Well, he brings me this book with no words. So had I not, you know, learned those things about being flexible and just instead of being like, okay, here, I'm going to give you a book. I just had to think on my feet. Okay. How can we change what I thought we were going to do into what's been given to me? And so as rewarding and as challenging and maybe Maybe that's part of why my year was so challenging was because it was forcing me to do things differently. Um, but yeah, I, I look back over that year and I'm like, wow, I've grown as a, as a teacher, even in nine, after nine years of teaching. So I, yeah, just some of those, you know, things that we all like give a chuck. Yeah. Of course the book has no words in it when you have this master plan of a, of a lesson to work on. I think, I think it's, 
also probably valid just to comment on Sarah's response here. Our two different programs, English and French immersion, for English for the English program participants, uh, I felt like it was easier for them to rely on the flexibility and the resources because that's out there. It's the mainstream program. Whereas with French immersion, the teachers they they had trouble finding resources or materials in English for online teaching, and it's not out there. So like they had to they had to come up with different strategies. They went on social media to talk to all other French immersion teachers across the country, outside the country, to see if they could bring some of these resources to their to their online settings in, in the remote learning program as well. So I think in the equity issue there or diversity issue, the French immersion was also a, a, a piece that needed some more uh, not attention, but what would be the word for that, Catherine? Like some. It needed special consideration because you need time to model language learning and to be engaged in that language development. And and the teachers working in the immersion program had less time, and taught more grades. And so, in a program where you would expect a lot of oral language, uh, there just wasn't time, and so it was very direct instruction and assignments for the time when you weren't with the teacher. Whereas the students in the English program in general had a more typical school experience. The teacher was there, they were either working with them or with somebody else, but they had a teacher all day. In the immersion program, they had a teaching slot, and the rest of the time they had to work on their own. And so working on your own in a language that you're learning is very difficult and getting help online is not, we know Google Translate's not very reliable, but that's what parents and kids were doing because they didn't have the support. So one of the findings, you know, one of our recommendations was to have accessible supports for parents who are helping their children at home, for immersion, for technology, to understand a math problem, to get on teams, to know how to attach something to submit it. Parents needed that kind of help. And actually it was parents who said, couldn't we have an EA who'd be on hand? Like that would be really, really helpful. It doesn't have to be a tech specialist. We just need someone who can help us negotiate all these things. And so having somebody available at the other end of a phone would have been really helpful for the parents and as a result, the students. Yeah, and Catherine, actually that just sparked something that I had thought of um, even during my teaching was, um, you, yeah, I taught grade five and six. So those students have some sort of idea of turning a computer on, powering it off, right? But when um, you're teaching kindergarten grade one students, that parent or guardian has to be with them. And some of the conversations that I had with the parents from my classroom was, well, I can't spend more time with the student in, in Sarah's class because I'm with their sister in kindergarten all day, right? So we, I mean, I probably just kind of assumed that these kids knew those things. But when we went to do any sort of like a PowerPoint or or even if it was a two-page thing, right? It just takes so much longer because we're assuming they have these skills. You back up a few grades, where would they have learned those, right? If they didn't even have a computer prior to online teaching or learning, um, now they're given a computer, how do we expect them to even be able to Google how to translate this sentence, right? Or how would they even know what to type in if they've never been taught that? 
and probably the same for the parents, how would they know um, if they've never had that pre-teaching? That was a huge insight was from the teachers telling us their students did not have the tech skills that they took for granted. Entirely. I would, I would back that up and wasn't even part of the, the initial research. So yeah, I can totally see that for sure. So they were constantly teaching tech strategies um, as simple as how to do a Google search. Um, the students didn't know how to do it. Saving a document, right? Or attaching something. So we're taking a screenshot. That was a huge one um, because if they were having troubles on their computer, yeah, we would try and screen share, but they can't do that. So I taught them how to take a screenshot. What is this error message you're getting, right? I'm not on the other other side of that so then then I had to teach them how to upload that and send it to me in teams so we took for granted for sure the the tech skills that we thought that these these students would have and yeah a lot of our teaching time was taken in the early days for sure of setting or preloading those those skills mm -hmm. we've come sort of to the end of our time and so I just wanted to thank you. I think it's really interesting to think about um, this last discussion about what we learned about kids, what we learned about teaching. Um, I think sort of out of a really unusual and really challenging and really hard time. Um, I think when we get to the end of it, we'll be able to look back and say, oh, yes, I was forever changed because I needed to teach in these conditions. And um, I think that's going to be interesting uh, for all of us going forward. I think in terms of how did it change um, our understanding of online learning and using technology in classrooms, I think it was significant. And um, I don't think we'll ever be able to bounce back to where we were from that, because I think we'll always um, understand how tech tools at our fingertips are useful. So. I'd like to thank you for coming and sharing in the conversation today. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I hope that you'll enjoy the podcast once it's up online. And um, I think that's a wrap. Thank you, everyone. This was a great conversation. Thank you for coming and sharing with us.